delicious This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page The love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these dead walls all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love person out of every scene We're gonna fill our house with happiness We're gonna smother the fools with tenderness There's room for you, room for me For gentle hearts and opportunity It's a bigger love for the In what would be the final conversation I had with my grandfather, I asked him a question. I, I said, what does it mean to be a Robinson? And I think that question caught him off guard. He kind of hemmed and hawed for a little bit and said something about hard work and following after the Lord. But then he said, you know, Kyle, I'm really going to have to think about that for a while and get back to you. And cancer cut short that conversation. But I've just been fascinated by what does it mean for me to be part of my own family? And as I've been preparing for this new series that we're kicking off called Family Matters, and I hope you're enjoying our Family Matters sitcom set here, really God has been challenging me with what I think to be an even more important question that all of us need to ask. And that's what does it mean to be part of God's family? And here's what I found out. God cares so much more about family than I ever realized. In fact, when God chose to bring salvation to the entire world, he chose to do so not through a political system and not through a government. He chose to do so through a family. And to show that he could use any family, God chose an elderly couple that couldn't have kids by the name of Abraham and Sarah. We're introduced to Abraham and Sarah's story early in the book of Genesis. And the story comes right after God had dealt with a worldwide rebellion. Here's the story. In Genesis chapter 11, we find the peoples of the earth had gathered together in a place called the Plains of Shinar. And it was there that they sought to create a uniform society. They wanted to have only one language that everybody would speak and only one culture and one universal government that had one goal. And that was to create a great name for humanity without God. And one of their chief projects was to build this enormous tower up into the sky and God frustrated their plans and scattered the people all throughout the earth and changed their languages as they were scattered. And so that place has, has been known or that story has been known as the Tower of Babel or a better translation would be the Tower of Babylon because that place was the birth of Babylon, which in the ancient world was a physical place. We read about it throughout scripture. But Babylon also serves throughout scripture as a symbol of humanity's desire to do life without God. So the question is, well, how is God going to respond to all of this? 
And that is where God chooses not to use another nation, not to rise up, raise up an empire, not to bring about a new political system, but instead God chose to use family. And so the question is why? Why choose family? And to answer that question, we turn to the book of Genesis. Here's what is written in Genesis chapter 18. It says this, it says, then the Lord said, shall I hide for, from Abraham what I am about to do? Which just tells you right away about this close relationship that Abraham had with God. They, they were friends. And it goes on to say, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him, which is a, a dramatic statement because at this point, uh, Abraham hadn't yet given birth or his, his uh, wife, Sarah, hadn't yet given birth to their son, Isaac. And yet God is giving this big promise. And notice the promise is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. See, unlike the Babylonian idea that everything needs to be uniform, God values diversity. And he invites all the diverse peoples of the earth to be part of his family. God has a global mindset in place. And so the question is, well, how is that going to come to be? And this is where we go into verse 19. It goes on to say, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So there's something about family that allows people to best learn about what it means to follow after God. That family is the best place to understand how to serve God and follow him and communicate him to the world around us. It's, it's better than a political system. It's better than a military. It's better than a culture. There's something inherent about family. So our big idea for this series and the big idea for today could be summed up by saying this, family is where we learn about God and reflect him to the world. Family is where we learn about God and we reflect him to the world. And you may be hearing that and you may be saying, that is not my family. And let me just say this, if you have been, had your heart broken by your family, you've been let down by your family, if you've been disappointed by your family, if your family is dysfunctional, do you know what that makes you? It makes you normal. In fact, every family that we see in the Bible all had some of those elements. They, they were dysfunctional, they were broken, and yet God chose to use them. And, and God chose to do a work within those families, and God chose to use those families to bring about salvation for the entire world because God values family. Now, when I say that God values family, what I mean by that is God values your family, but God also has a larger vision for family that all of us play into. And so we need to understand, well, what is God's big idea about family? And what I've come to find is it is way bigger than I realized. So where we go from family is we need to start all the way at the beginning when God started family. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter one, 
verse 27. So let's start there. And to help unpack kind of all these different ideas, uh, do this with me. Would you draw along with me? We're, we're going to talk about some really important concepts. And I think if you draw it out, uh, it'll be more helpful for you. So find a piece of paper and something to write with. And here's what I want you to do just to kind of get your spacing right. Would you start with just two big circles uh, on, your, um, on, on your page? So just two big circles. And then we're going to kind of write and draw in. I'll, I'll be drawn along with us as we go. So let's start Genesis 1.27. Here's what it says. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is a very powerful verse about our identity. So let's go to our drawing. And on that very first circle, you can start with Genesis 1.27. And then would you write in how God has created the image of humanity, both male and female. So draw a, a man and draw a woman. So here's your male and here's your female. Let's give her a little bit of hair there. And that image is describing for us that God has taken humanity and has put his own image in humanity. But then God took humanity and he divided humanity in between male and female. So there's differences and diversity within humanity, but yet they all have come from the same place. There's a coming together and a going out. And so God has set in his image, male and female. Now God's not gendered. God has no gender. But if you're a male or if you're a female, then part of your sense of identity is this gendered gift from God that reflects his image. It's a powerful thing, our, our sense of gender. And watch this, when male and female come back together, they reflect the image of God because God is the creator. And God created new life. And when man and woman come together, they too have the potential to create new life. And that's what Genesis 1 goes on to say in verse 28. It talks about how man and woman are supposed to create. So uh, God says, God blessed them, the, the, the couple, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So that's this idea that they're supposed to be fruitful and increase in number. So let's go back to our drawing and let's add some of the product of, of man and woman coming together here uh, with Genesis 1, 28. And we have children that have been added into this pair. And so the uh, command that God gives to a man and wife is to be fruitful and multiply, but not just with anybody. There's special confines that uh, the relationship is supposed to happen within, and that is marriage. Now, before we get into marriage, let me just take a pause and, and say this. If you are currently not married, I want you to know you're in really good company. And God's vision for family absolutely includes you. In fact, there are stories all throughout scripture of people who weren't married and were used significantly by God. I think of Naomi, who was a widow in the Old Testament, and she was part of helping to create the family of God. And Jesus himself was not married. Neither was the Apostle Paul. And yet both Jesus and the Apostle Paul write a lot about marriage because for them, they understood that marriage was so much more than just a relationship between a man and a woman. Now that, that marriage actually points to something that is profoundly transforming for us when it comes to our spiritual life. 
And so we need to understand, well, what is that transforming thing that marriage actually points to? So hang with me here as we talk a little bit more about marriage. But let's go back to when God instituted marriage, and he did so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Here's what scripture says. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And that's the key. They become one flesh. So let's go back to our drawing here and kind of understand how this is working itself out. So you can add in Genesis 2.24 to uh, your, your, your drawing here. And what we see is there's this, there's this pattern that begins to emerge, that you have man and you have woman who were both kind of from the same sense of humanity, but they have become different and distinct. And yet through marriage, it creates a new union. And then their children become part of that new union. They become part of that one family structure. But eventually, that passage tells us that those children will separate themselves from that family and they will unite themselves to another individual who has also become separated from their family. And through marriage, a new union is created. That's really profound because what it actually points to is something that is so spiritually significant for each and every one of us. And this is what the apostle Paul writes about. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter five. So let's go to Ephesians chapter five and see what the apostle Paul, who was a single guy, wrote about. He wrote this, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. We just read that, we just got that. That was from Genesis 2.24. So Paul is quoting that and then he goes on to say this. He says, this is a profound mystery. And you wanna say, Paul, what's so mysterious about this? By the time he wrote this, people had been getting married and, and, and that was happening for thousands of years. And Paul says, that's not the mystery. The mystery is that marriage is actually about Christ and the church because he says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So marriage is actually a reflection of the relationship that Jesus has with each and every one of us who have said yes to him because we're part of the church. So we get to expand our drawing here. So let's go back to our drawing. And now I want you to focus on this second circle because this is actually reflecting this. So here we have uh, Ephesians 5 there at the bottom of that circle. So you can uh, make a note of where that came from. And then let's draw Jesus over here and uh, let's give him a crown because uh, Jesus is our, is our king of kings. There we go, it's a nice crown. And then here's the bride of Christ uh, which is the church. So we're going to put a big capital C above that. So that's the church. And there's this beautiful relationship that in the same way, marriage between a man and a woman actually reflects the relationship that Jesus offers to you and to me. So to unpack this, let's kind of talk a little bit about, well, what happens within marriage? So let's think about a marriage between a man and a woman. Here's the first thing that we want to add to our drawing. Would you write just below this now and forever, now and forever, because when a husband and wife get married, that's what they do, is they commit themselves both now and forever. Those are the famous marriage vows. When two people are getting married, they say, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. If one of you becomes a Packers fan, like I'm in this thing forever, it's a pledge forever. And folks, that is a that is a reflection of the pledge that Jesus Christ gives to us. Do you know what scripture tells us? Scripture tells us that once we are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us 
from the love of God. So on the other circle below that, you can write nothing will separate. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And we see that in marriage. It's a reflection of the relationship that Jesus offers to us. So let's keep going about uh, what marriage looks like. So marriage is also a foundation for us. And what I mean by that is marriage is the place where a family is built upon a marriage. That's, it becomes a foundation to welcome children in, whether those are children who are born into the family or children who are adopted into the family. But marriage becomes a foundation. And I've noticed something within our culture, that our culture has become confused about this. That our culture is viewing marriage the wrong way round. They view marriage not as a foundation, but marriage as a capstone. And what I mean by this is I have met with so many couples who say, you know, once I kind of have my life in order, then I'll get married. Once I've paid off my debt, uh, once I've established myself in my career, once I buy a house, once I've traveled the world, once I've done all the things that I want to do, I've had the relationships that I want to have, now I kind of have my perfect life built, and now I'll cement that. That'll be a capstone achievement. We'll be marrying somebody else who also has their life in order. But folks, the problem with that is when you view marriage that way, there are all sorts of expectations that come rushing in that in order for a marriage to be successful, you need to have the right situation and the right circumstance. But folks, think about this from a spiritual standpoint. Jesus is not the capstone achievement for you and I building a great spiritual life. It's actually the opposite. The only way you and I can properly build a life that's pleasing to God is on Jesus. It's through him. We don't have to get our life in order in order for Jesus to come to us. In fact, there's those famous verses and quotes that tell us that it is by grace we have been saved, not by works. So you can add that over here on uh, your drawing, is that it's by grace, not works, that we have been saved. See, marriage as a foundation reflects the foundation that Jesus gives to us to build our lives upon. Now, marriage is also good for the other person. That's the whole idea of Christian marriage. The idea of Christian marriage is that your job is to help serve and be a blessing to your spouse. So let me just pause and time out here for any of you who are married. If you're married right now, your job description, what you pledged to God and what you signed up for was to be a blessing and to serve your spouse, even at the expense of yourself. That's what you signed up for. That's what you pledged to do. And the reason you chose to do that, the reason you said that you would do that is actually because that's how Jesus treats us. And this is your opportunity to be Jesus to somebody else. And folks, we're supposed to be Jesus to somebody else even, and especially when they don't deserve it. Because that's how Jesus treats us. In fact, Jesus said about himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you could write Jesus serves on the other side here of our reflection of marriage. See, everything that happens in the married relationship is supposed to be this reflection of Christ and the church. And so you can think about how marriage is supposed to be for the good of the other. And, you know, that, that really means that a Christian marriage should kind of be defined this way. It's a, a husband and a wife who look at each other and say, uh, let's do it your way. No, 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 no. Let's do it your way. No, 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 I insist. We should do it your way. Not, not my way. I want to do it your way. 
which folks accurately describes about zero of the marriages that are listening right now, including my own, right? And so part of the reality of marriage, let's just be real for a minute, is that marriage is not always easy. And there are moments within marriage that actually can be heartbreaking and that can be totally devastating. Maybe you're someone who has experienced the pain of a marriage that that failed, a marriage that fell apart. You've gone through a divorce. Or maybe growing up as a kid, your parents got divorced and you've dealt with the pain and the frustration of that. And so let's put on the drawing here that marriage can in fact be heartbreaking. But here's the good news about that is that there's always hope and healing in Jesus. And while divorce is never the ideal, it's never what Jesus intends for our married relationships, I want you to know that Jesus still uses folks that are in the midst of and have gone through that pain of divorce. In fact, one of my most favorite stories in the Bible is found in John chapter four. And it's this woman who is approached by Jesus. And she had been married five different times. And she was now living with a sixth man. And Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't shame her. But he stepped into the midst of her brokenness. And he transformed her. And that woman went on to lead her entire village to Jesus because they saw how Jesus transformed her in the midst of her hurt and in the midst of her brokenness. So folks, I just want to say this. If you've been divorced, you've gone through that experience, there is hope, there is healing. God can use you and be expectant that God will meet you in that place and use that. And if you need any help along the way with that, we have a ministry here at Wooddale Church called Divorce Care, and we'd love to help you work through the pain of that divorce. And you can find more information about Divorce Care through our pastoral care site on our website. But here's the thing. All of these things are related to marriage. Ultimately, they're a witness. And they're a witness because they're reflecting what Jesus uh, represents to us in terms of his invitation to be part of his family. In fact, this idea of witness is both within the family and outside of the family. In fact, in the second century, the early church grew exponentially. And a lot of the growth was attributed to Christian marriages. See, in in the Roman world at the time, marriage was not a high priority. And uh, women, especially Roman women, were not treated well by their husbands. They were kind of viewed as a piece of property. And, And yet these Roman women started noticing these Christian marriages where things were done differently, where the husband was loving the wife and the wife was viewed as an equal partner because both of them, according to scripture, have the image of God set within them. And a lot of the Roman women said, hey, I, I, I want to get in on that. And so many of them converted to Christianity because they saw a better way to be human represented in the Christian marriages. Folks, if, if you are married right now uh, and you have kids or you have grandkids or you have neighbors or you have other people that get to watch your relationship, it is an opportunity for you to reflect Christ to the world around you. And your kids and your grandkids can actually learn about the relationship that Jesus offers to us by how you treat your spouse. Okay, now there's another element of the family relationship that we need to kind of add in here. So we we had these children, whether they're birth or, or whether through adoption, and there's an idea within this family structure that God creates about the relationship that kids are supposed to have with their parents, and it's one of honor. 
So one of the Ten Commandments comes to us from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and it tells us this. It says that kids are supposed to honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, we're going to more fully unpack this verse here in a couple weeks, so hang with us throughout this series. But the whole point of this passage is that we are commanded to honor our father and our mother. And by the way, there is no time stamp on this. Once you move out of the house, you don't have to no longer honor your parents. It's something that if your mom and dad are still alive, you're required to give them honor. Uh, here's the reality of that is the reality is that we know two things are true when it comes to honoring our parents. They're not perfect and we're supposed to honor them anyway. And the reason for that is because learning how to honor imperfect authority will help teach us how to honor the perfect authority of God. So let's kind of go back to our drawing here and, and add this component in. So uh, I want you to write in Exodus 20, verse 12. And there's this relationship that happens here, that kids are supposed to give honor to their father and their mother, and the parents or the grandparents are supposed to then instruct the kids on how to obey. Because again, all that does is it prepares them to obey and follow after God. So just kind of take a step back and look at our little family structure that we're building here. This is kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like God's original life group, right? If, if you're not familiar with a life group, it's something we have at church. It's eight to 12 people that get together and they do life together and they learn what it means to follow after God. That's kind of what the family structure looks like. And a lot of families will look different from one another. There's, there's nieces and there's nephews and there's brothers and there's sisters. And there's all sorts of relationships, but it's through those relationships that we actually learn about what it means to be in relationship with God, which is the whole point of family. Because God's vision for family was never limited to just this. In fact, did you know that in the Bible words, the, the Hebrew and the Greek that were originally, scripture was originally written in, that there is not one word that just copies into kind of what we think is like a, a nuclear family structure, of, you know, a mom and a dad and 2.4 kids and a dog. Actually, the vision and the words that God uses for family all throughout scripture are always more communal based. It's more about a household and it involves a lot of people. And sometimes there are people you're not even directly related to, but it's friends and neighbors and coworkers and, and people who are employees. And it's this vision of community. And folks, that's what family ultimately points at. So here's what the Apostle Paul explains to us about how we're connected into God's family. He writes this in Galatians chapter 3. He says this, he says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Okay, Gentiles is just anybody who's not Jewish, and somebody who's Jewish was a descendant of Abraham. So this is the, we're zooming way out. God's, God's bringing salvation to those who are outside of the direct descendants of Abraham, okay? So he says that's going to happen by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham by saying all nations will be blessed through you. We started our message by talking about that verse. So Paul's saying, here's how this all comes to fruition. And in verse 29, he explains how it all connects. He says this, he says, if you belong to Christ, meaning you've said yes to Jesus, then here's the promise, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who is an heir? It's a member of the family. If you've said yes to Jesus, you're part of God's family and all of our families 
are intended to be a reflection of God's global family, which is the church. So let's go back to our drawing. Let's add in Galatians. That's the connecting point here. The reason that your family matters to God is that it's a reflection of his family and his family matters eternally. And look at all the connecting points, right? Just like when uh, a husband and a wife come together and they are fruitful and they increase in number. So when Jesus and the church come together, there is a similar call. Instead of it being Genesis 1, 28, it's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus, right after his death and resurrection, goes to his church and he says this. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So add more people, right? There's this global, global cause to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given to you and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So let's add that component back into our drawing here. We see this idea of Matthew 28. That's the, this great commission, this great call to go and make disciples. Folks, when we bring and make new disciples, what we're doing is we're helping people. We're adding new life, that new spiritual life to them. And they now become members of God's family. And in the same way that parents are called to instruct their children, uh, so we are called to instruct these new believers. There is a form of spiritual parenting that happens. So everything we see in the family unit is actually a reflection of God's global vision for the church, which includes every single one of us. So what's that mean for us? No, well, I, I think it means three things for us. And they all have to do with a call to commitment. See, God cares deeply about family because he cares deeply about his own family. And I know for me personally, that means that I just believe that God is calling each and every one of us to commit to our own families in a new and in a different way. And so for me, if you're thinking about different application points, maybe you could start by saying this. One, commit to your family. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I love my family. Uh, my wife and I have been married for a number of years. We have a couple kids. I, I have my, my brother and, and uh, in-laws, and, and I just I care deeply about my family. But as I've been going through this series, God has just deeply convicted me that while I care about my family, I have not given them my full commitment because my call, just like Abraham, was to make sure that my kids know about the Lord and follow after him. And my call is to make sure that I reflect Jesus to my wife and that I honor my parents and, and that I'm living out an expression of reflecting God's family within my own family. And folks, it's caused me to step back and evaluate just how intentional I have been or maybe how intentional I haven't been in certain situations. And so it's caused me to say, I need to commit to my family like never before. And maybe that's true for you. Maybe you need to commit to your kids like never before or your grandkids or a niece and a nephew who, who you just feel burdened by because they need to know the Lord. Or maybe you've been going through a marriage that has been drifting apart and you need to turn your attention to your spouse and commit to him or her like you have never committed to them before. 
And so I want to encourage you to make your commitment. As we go throughout this series, we're going to give you lots of real practical advice on how to help with your own family matters. But folks, here's the truth of it. If your heart's not in it and you haven't made that commitment to your family, it's not going to make a difference. So if you're ready to commit, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Tell God and tell somebody else. Because if you're committed to it, you're going to tell people you're committed to it. So tell God, I'm all in and I'm committing to my family. Maybe write it down. And then would you tell somebody who can hold you accountable to say, I am committing to my family, to my spouse, to my kids, to my grandkids, like never before. And here's a real practical way that you can be committed. Be committed throughout the series. You know, watch it with your family. Send the links out. Talk about it. Uh, In fact, at the end of this series, we're going to be doing a panel discussion to help answer any questions that you may have about your own specific family matters. And uh, Pastor Ken and Pastor Heather and some other friends of Wooddale are going to be part of that panel discussion with me. And you can send in questions. So a couple ways you can do that throughout the series is, uh, one, you can email questions at wooddale.org. Just email those questions in all throughout this series, and we'll answer them uh, on July 4th. Or uh, you can follow us on Instagram. If you're not doing that already, you can follow us at Wooddale Church and then uh, DM us on Instagram and uh, we'll be collecting those questions as well. But commit to this series and commit to your family. Folks, here's the second commitment that we need to make. We need to commit to God's family and that's the church. Because here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of the fact that many of us view the church less like God's family and more like Target. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's certain targets I go to because they're more convenient or I like this layout better or, you know, maybe I'll go here, but then go here. I, I never really commit to it. And, you know, if Target doesn't have something, I'll go to another store. But God's family shouldn't be this way. We should really commit to the local church. A couple of months ago, I received an email from somebody who had been attending Wooddale and thinking about stepping more fully in. And uh, th- this person had emailed us and, and said that, uh, Uh, they probably wouldn't be continuing here at this church because uh, in the process of trying to figure out where they were going to get fit, uh, find their fit, they, uh, they, they stopped by another church and they were comparing the teaching and the music. And they said, Hey, you know, it was great. And your teaching's great. And your music is great. And their music was great, but they have some really comfortable chairs in their worship center. And the campus at Wooddale that this person was attending has pews. And they said, I don't like to sit on pews. So I've decided to go to this other church because they have better seating. And I thought to myself, man, is that what this has come to? That we're making decisions on church based on comfort? I mean, how many of us would go to our family and say, hey, family, I know I'm committed to you. And, you know, this family's great. And, you know, the Johnsons are great too. But listen, I was over at their house last week and they've got a new sofa. So I'm going to be moving. I mean, none of us would do that, right? So why do we think we can do it with God's family? So I want to encourage you, commit to the church like you've never committed before. For some of you, that may mean that it's time to actually come back in person. You're feeling safe, you're feeling ready, and it's time to not just watch online or not just watch casually on podcasts, but to actually say, I'm going to commit to being there. It's time to start showing up. For others of you, it's just committed to, hey, I'm going to be regular. I'm going to check in online or I'm going to watch every every week. I'm going to never miss because I'm going to be committed to this. Or for others of you, it's part of serving. We have an opportunity here at Wooddale Church, I believe this with all of my heart, to continue the message that God gave to Abraham, to make sure that the next generation is the most spiritually resilient generation that this world has ever seen. 
because it's a difficult world out there. And rather than hide from it, it's time for us to invest in the next generation and be part of that here at Wooddale. Serve, be the part of the teams that are helping to make that a reality. In fact, I want to challenge you to think about when you're in our buildings or you're around church environments, to look for those who are lost and hurting because folks, we are a family to the familyless. So be like Steve. We just honored Steve's life. We, we had a celebration of life service for him a, a few weeks ago. But Steve for a long time was an usher here at Wooddale Church. And Steve viewed the church as a family. Whenever somebody would walk in, he would find the person who was lost and who was hurting and who needed to be, to be guided. And he treated everybody that walked into our doors like they were his own children, which was profound because Steve was a divorced man that never had any kids, but he viewed the church as his family. And there are many people who are now part of the family of God because Steve treated them so well. That's the opportunity that each and every one of us have to commit to God's family. And here's the third thing. Maybe it's time for you to commit to Christ. And what I mean by that is I recognize that there are many of you who are listening to this message and you have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've grown up in Christian environments or you've casually attended church or maybe you, you've never had anything to do with church, but, but you've heard about uh, this church thing and you're trying to figure out what does this all mean? And you, you've never accepted Jesus and put your trust and your faith in him. And if so, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today to become part of God's family. So here's the promise uh, and the truth of what Jesus has done for you and for me is that you and I originally when we were created, when we go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and God started to create his own family, we as humanity, we stepped outside of God's family. And we did that when we said, God, we think we can do this better than you. And so we chose to leave his family and God has been chasing us down ever since to welcome us back into the family. And that separation between us and God is this thing called sin. And that sin has been this massive problem for us. And so what God did as part of his pursuit to bring us back into the family is God became human himself in the person of Jesus. And he lived the life here on earth that was pleasing to God, a life that you and I could never have lived on our own because of our sin and our selfishness. And then Jesus went to the cross and he died the death that you and I deserve because of the punishment, the consequences of our sin. But because Jesus was sinless, death could have no hold on him. And three days later on Easter, he rose again. And so Jesus gives to us the exclusive offer of new life and to become part of his family. And you do that by saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you and no longer myself. And when you do that, you become part of God's family. And if you're ready to make that commitment here today, then I just want to invite you silently in just a few moments to pray what I pray out loud. And the words don't matter. It's more about the heart condition of saying, God, I'm ready to follow you and I'm ready to be part of your family. So if you would like to make that step to come into God's family today, would you please pray silently with me as I pray aloud? Father God, I acknowledge to you that I am a sinful person 
that I have done things that I know to be wrong and it has separated me from you. But I believe, Jesus, that you lived the life I could not live and that you died the death that I deserve so that I could be forgiven for the punishment of my sin. I receive the forgiveness that you freely offer to me and I put my trust in you. I promise to follow you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to let you know, if you prayed that prayer, you became part of the family of God. And in just a moment, our host from our uh, services will let you know your next step so we can properly welcome you in to the family of God. But let me just give you one final thing to end with. You know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this service, that uh, the beginning of the message, that, that there was this tension point, right? That, that humanity said, we want to create one uniform culture. And God said, no, 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 I value diversity. But my, my family is going to be people that are represented all around the world. All the diverse peoples of the, the, the world come uh, and find their, their unity in being part of my family. And I want to give you just a glimpse of all of us who have ever said yes to Jesus, what our great family reunion is going to look like on the other side of eternity. It comes to us from Revelations 7. It says this, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Here it is, from every nation and tribe and people and language right? That's everybody. That's the vision that God gave to Abraham. All of us standing in front of the throne, that's where God is, and before the lamb, that's Jesus, and they were clothed in white robes, being cleansed from their sins, and they held palm branches in their hands, and they start praising God. That's the image that all of us have of the reunion that we have, because our family is a family to reconcile all peoples of the earth back to God. That is why our family matters. I hope you are part of this family.